it's a very dynamic environment and now I can actually seeing it in my daily work. Mm. Uh, things changing, like when you plan an experiment on a specific day that you require specific condition, like it be weather or anything else, then suddenly something changed. You cannot perform any more experiments. Then you have to replan everything. Same thing happens on the space station. Something happens, then you have to completely change your plan. Plus, I really learned on how to interact with a lot of people, because interacting with people with different backgrounds, different culture, different style of work, uh, you have to understand how to uh, interact with them. So you need to approach them maybe a different way. It's really interesting just to understand other people and uh, see how we create a connection or uh, develop our let's say, uh, working relationship. Time for another episode of the Cold Star Project, the podcast show about uh, scaling space companies and all those unexpected crazy challenges. And this is a great chance to meet people from all over the place. I like meeting people from all over the world with different perspectives. And I'm here with uh, analog astronaut Simone Paternostro. Thanks for being here. Thanks to you for the invitation. You bet. So we have a very interesting um, way of connecting here. I, I initially uh, approached Dr. Gnoe Gromer of the Austrian Space Forum. Yes, there is such a thing. And we're going to find out a little bit about that. And he said, oh, you need to talk to Simone. And we got connected up. And here we are. So um, this fellow here has a PhD in engineering surveying and space geodesy, which is uh, very interesting. And the topic, the space geodesy, I just started learning about you know, <laughs> maybe a couple months ago, right? It hasn't been that long. Uh, he works for the uh, European Space Agency and manages ISS payloads, which uh, I hope to dig into a little bit. Obviously, we don't want to talk about any sensitive topics, but uh, you know, anything security related, we don't cover on this show. But <laughs> but just in general, I've never met anyone who managed ISS payloads before, so I'm sure there's something we can talk about. So let's get started with the uh, this question: How did you get involved with the Austrian Space Forum and Dr. Gromer? Well, it was actually really by chance because I was in the UK, it was September, October 2014. Mm. Uh, I was with my colleagues uh, with a PhD project in Nottingham and we were just talking about space-related topics. And one of these was the uh, astronaut selection process. So we were wondering uh, what was the last one provided by ESA and when it would be the next one. So just out of curiosity because maybe some of us uh, like to try. And while we were looking online, I came out, uh, I came up with this uh, analog astronaut selection. Mm. The Astronaut Space Forum that year was uh, opening up a call for a selecting new analog astronaut. So I say, yeah, why not? Let's give it a try. It might be fun. So I applied and uh, I both went through the selection process. Uh, it was divided mainly in three cases. Uh, unfortunately, at that time, uh, I was not selected as an analog astronaut. Uh, the competition was also very high because we had a lot of uh, professional, even students with uh, amazing background, experiences, and skills. So it was a very tough competition. And already being in the, uh, uh, able to reach the final step where we were the only 15, uh, it was really a big achievement for myself. Mm -hmm. uh, but despite that, uh, I liked what they were doing because I got the chance to meet the organizations, understand what they were doing. Uh, it's all based on volunteers that they, uh, mm. people passionate or they're really interested in the area or get, they want to know more about it. And uh, so I decided to join the, the organization and support uh, their activities and their mission. 
uh, and in fact, uh, a few months later, in uh, August of 2015, uh, I joined uh, the uh, analog missions uh, of the Amsterdam Space Program that that year was in uh, was on the Counter-Star Glacier in Austria, uh, and I was in uh, Innsbruck in their uh, mission support center. Uh, I was part of the what is called the flight control team in the mission support center that is more or less managing and directing the missions in different positions inside. And that was mainly the start. Uh, with years, then I get a little bit more involved with the organization. I help them to organize some training courses that they provide for the, the volunteers that they come for the mission. Uh, Join again a mission in 2018 uh, that they performed in Oman. Uh, I was again in the mission support center uh, in Innsbruck. And the end of 2018, again, they decided to open again another call for our guests because they wanted to increase their uh corp let's say uh and so i say okay let's give it a try again I mean, it was fun the first time and uh, they were let's try again it's still fun and uh, i can meet new people and uh, it's also a chance to uh increase my network of people mm -hmm. so i participated again uh this time uh, luckily i went through and i was selected as a candidate in our restaurant because once we were selected, then we had to go through a series of uh, training in order to be qualified for the, uh, for the missions. And this one, uh, I can talk to you uh, a little bit more later. I'm not sure if you have any question about this. Sure, yes. Yeah. So let's take a step back um, and, and explain what the purpose of the Austrian Space Forum is. Let's begin with that. Well, it's an organization that it's... Uh, um, uh, performing research in the, uh, in the space exploration field, in, uh, particularly human uh, space exploration. Um, it was founded by a group of passionate people uh, that wanted to still contribute to the field, even if uh, not directly working in a space agency or in a company, uh, they felt the, the need to contribute to it. Here we go see, uh, uh, in Austria, they didn't have the human space flight side of the space uh, field, so they decided to create their own environment. Uh, so they started to perform this analog mission to support the uh, understanding of what is uh, to perform a mission of another uh, celestial bodies. Uh, so involving uh, scientists and researchers from institute that they wanted to test uh, experiment or technology, hardware, uh, everything. So they started with small mission using uh, facilities like the one in the, uh, the desert of Utah, uh, the DMARS, uh, and then the uh, and they started to develop their own concept, their own mission, also their own technologies. Actually, uh, they uh, developed in time also what are the two spacesuit simulators, uh, the Uda X and S. So they have, we have two models. Um, and the main, the main uh, purpose of this suit is to more or less simulate uh, the restriction and constraints that a spacesuit uh, give to astronauts. Um, because performing experiment without any equipment on you, it's easier. But when you carry a 45-50 kilogram suit on top of you, plus some restriction on your joint, that's really challenging. So, considering also usually when you do experiment, you have to handle hardware, uh, push buttons, and everything. So, also the feeling, the tactile feeling of your hands is completely different when you have you wear three, four different layers. So, this is one of the main areas uh, that 
the space program is working is trying to understand uh, what are the difficulties and challenges of uh, performing missions on other collective bodies and also to uh, create uh, and understand the process behind not only for the people on the um, on site, so on the on the celestial body, but also on Earth, on the ground. What kind of process we need? What kind of people? What, you know, what kind of training and background? Uh, but they also do a lot of uh, outreach activities. So they are really involved, with the, especially in Austria, with local schools. They perform mm. uh, the promotion of studies of science in general STEM uh, topics. So they are very active also in that field. They really want people to uh, understand what we are doing. Okay, that that is really great. Um, I'm curious where their funding comes from. <laughs> but you don't have to answer that, uh, whether it's grants or privates or whatever. Um, so I, I heard you mention the word process a couple times. I really like that. Uh, it's a big part of what we do here at Cold Star is, is okay. process improvement. So an analog astronaut then is somebody who is not going to go up in a rocket, but is going to be sent somewhere on Earth uh, to a probably a fairly difficult environment and then be put into uh, this suit simulator to try out what is it like because very few of us have had that experience right uh, of, of what is it like to be dressed up in this thing and then try and do normal stuff right or yeah. mission mission uh, activities as well which may not be that normal <laughs> but everything is you know giving giving a group of people um, uh, this experience I think is quite valuable and then so the idea is that the space agencies will have this pool of people to draw upon who have some experience is that the idea you say space agency or yes or lost the, list for the last part of the question okay so is the idea of developing a core of astronauts and analog astronauts to give the space agencies uh, a, a group of people a pool of people who have at least some experience with this stuff to be able to draw from ah well um, from the astronaut space point of view is not that one that's the, the objective in general is to to have people that support the development and testing of uh, performing research. Mm. Then if the analog astronauts by themselves, they decide one day to apply for the call for astronauts at the European Space Agency, then it depends on the, uh, on the, the people at the, at the space agency deciding if the experience that we had might be significant for a real astronauts or not. But, I mean, that's a topic of two different things. Uh, I mean, being an astronaut, obviously, uh, it's much more challenging from many, many different aspects. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's why we are not trying to emulate that thing. We're just trying to give our own contribution. Okay. Uh, then uh, we, the Astro Space Forum created this pool of analog astronauts uh, in order to have enough people to get involved. Because being volunteers, uh, it's difficult. Everyone has their own life. Uh, job, families, and everything, and going on mission usually requires at least two or four weeks that you mm. have to be fully available for that time. So having many people, you have a much bigger pool of uh, candidates that can go on mission. Okay, so that clarifies that. So for you then personally, what was your big takeaway from this experience and, and how does it affect your career going forward? Well, I have to say that uh, I do realize that they had a kind of effect on my career because when I, when I moved from my PhD in Nottingham and I completed it and I moved to this position at the uh, European Space Agency, 
uh, actually, I think I believe that my experience with the uh, ASEAN Space Forum might have played a uh, good role in it because uh, the position itself is uh, dealing with the human spaceflight, so astronauts and uh, experiments on board of the space station. Uh, and uh, it's a big environment with a lot of uh, players and uh, roles, so you have to interact with a lot of people. And I had already this kind of experience in the astronaut space where with the team is quite big compared to standard, and you have to interact with a lot of people, manage, organize. So the whole experience itself, uh, I think it played uh, a good role in the, in the selection of, for, for the position. And I'm really happy that actually helped. Maybe in the future we'll have for other position whenever there will be the need to change position. So who never knows? It's still experience, plus I'm enjoying it, having fun. So that's the main important thing for me. Right. Is there a big takeaway from that experience of running that analog mission um, that, that you bring to your work today? Something maybe about planning or the unexpected? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> obviously. Because the, there are a lot of things. It's a very dynamic environment, and now I can actually seeing uh, it in my daily work. Mm. Uh, things changing, like when you plan an experiment on a specific day that you require specific condition, like it be weather or anything else, then suddenly something changed. You cannot perform any more experiment. Uh, then you have to replan everything. Same thing happens on the space station. Something happens, then you have to completely change your plan. Uh, plus, I really learned on how we interact with a lot of people interacting with people with different backgrounds, different culture, different style of work. Uh, you have to understand how to uh, interact with them. So you need to approach them maybe different ways. Uh, it's really interesting just to understand other people and uh, see how you create a connection or uh, develop our, let's say, a working relationship. Right. Okay. Now, uh, let's jump back a bit. I am curious about how they go about selecting you to be an analog astronaut. Uh, you submit a, a resume package, I imagine, and then there's some kind of interview. Is there a practical portion to it? Correct. As I mentioned before, there is a three-step process. The first one is uh, uh, the application. It looks like a standard job application where you have uh, uh, the CD and a motivation letter sent to the organization uh, that they evaluate uh, your profile and your motivation. And then if uh, they like you, they invite you to participate in the second step. Uh, the second and third step are uh, insight, the input. It involves a lot of tests and um, that can be uh, like a general knowledge test, uh, uh, hand-eye coordination, uh, physical and psychological tests, uh, in team working. Uh, I, I cannot even remember how many tests went through. And uh, after the second step, actually you go through a full medical check because they want mm. to be sure that you are healthy enough uh, to carry 45, 50 kilograms of spacesuit for uh, four or five hours. So you need to be, be fit for that. Uh, and so the, the selection itself is, is nice. It involves a lot of interaction and some uh, particular tests sometimes that you, right. maybe you might not understand. But probably they will, they will realize that from there are your skills and uh, your capabilities. Uh, and and that was the fun part, trying to understand each test how it was for, what was for, mm. and uh, try to understand if I did it right or, uh, or not, or if I need to improve, try to understand my weaknesses and my uh, best skills. 
Well, that's a very healthy definition of fun. <laughs> I don't know if everyone on the planet would share that, uh, but uh, it seems to have worked out well for you. So <laughs> tell us a bit about your role. Uh, the title is Multi-Increment Payload Planner for the ISS. So what the heck does that mean? Well, uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, the, the yeah. timeline in the space station is divided in uh, different, uh, let's say, periods. Uh, each period, more or less, is uh, six months, around six months, but it depends. Sometimes it might change, uh, depending on the flights. Uh, and then during uh, these six months, they are called increment pair. So this is why it's called multi-increment, because you, you take a couple of increments. Uh, each agency involved in the space station has to plan in advance the experiment or um, maintenance that they want to perform on board of the station. Uh, so as a planner, advance, uh, we plan in advance what kind of activities we need to perform on board with uh, the information that we uh, have from other team members. There's another important uh, role in the, uh, involved that is called the payload integration manager. Is the one following the development of the payload from uh, called from cradle to grave, so from the beginning when it decided uh, the space agency decided to perform it until the end. So it follows in along the timeline the payload, but then you need to know from them when the payload is ready to be launched and perform, mm. and you have to check with all the other payloads that are ready more or less in time in the same time frame that you have all the resources on board that you need to perform it, and they do not have any conflict between each other. Uh, that you satisfy all the constraints that will come coming from the uh, scientists. Since each agency for that time frame has a specific amount of resources that you so you need to optimize the outcome or the scientific outcome or any case uh, uh, what you need to perform the, the investigation on board in that time frame. So it's a kind of optimization and uh, process as well. Okay, so there's a little project management. There's some um, uh, materials selection. How about um, checking in on like what's going to happen to these supplies as they're in the rocket going up and the potential of vibration damage or something? Is that in your area? No, no, this one is part of the payload developer. So the okay. payload integration manager just follow the development of the payload, but the uh, the payload developer, so the company that builds the, mm -hmm. the hardware, is aware of the uh, environment of the launcher. Mm -hmm. So depending on the, uh, on the information that the uh, launcher provider gives to the development, to developer, then they know how to develop the hardware. So itself, this is a totally different uh, part of the uh, of the overall picture for, mm -hmm. the, for the experiment. In our case, we take. Uh, the information related like the requirements so what the uh, experiment needs if it needs to be performed within a specific time frame if there are some experiments that require to be performed either as soon as possible or within a specific window of time uh, the amount of time that required uh, because that's one of the main resources on the space station it's called crew time it's actually how much the crew member has to work on it uh, and so you need to optimize especially that one in terms of uh, uh, number of investigation that you would like to perform. Hmm. Uh, it's a continuous back and forth, especially when you flight changes or the cargo mm -hmm. or the crew vehicles change for whatever reason, this impact our uh, plan and then we have to replan again and see what are the impacts of the moving vehicles. And it's also the, in this case, also sometimes the fun part, I mean, sometimes it's quite challenging because sometimes changes are uh, quite sudden. So mm -hmm. you have to do everything in 
quickly to reevaluate re the situation. But it's also nice because you interact with a lot of other uh, people around the world. So I'm um, uh, in contact on almost on a weekly basis with people all around Europe, but also around the new, uh, world with uh, NASA, JAXA, CSA. Uh, that's very amazing how we can uh, work and collaborate uh, together from all over the world for a specific objective. This is Jason Gannigan from Cold Star Tech, and I'm excited to share with you a new offer from Cold Star that we are bringing out to help both space founders and venture capitalists who fund space companies. And it's on two levels. The lower level is a VC who is looking at possibly funding a space company, but they just don't get it. Right? And a lot of tech founders want to come out and create some sort of technical capability, but they do not understand business. And so you'll look and you'll go, where's the customer here? Where's the business model? And they'll go, huh? But I want to make rockets or something, right? And, and it's really cool. Well, that, as we know from the dot-com era, is not a viable business model. And so you bring us in. We've got great technical expertise on the space side. Folks who have done this sort of assessment before, like our technical engineering advisor, Dr. Rick Fleeter, myself in the process engineering field, plenty of other people with brains to look at this problem so that you don't have to blow your brains out trying to figure out how to make this work. And on the company side, it's a benefit for them because we will show them the roadmap to how you're going to get funded, how, how you will want to fund them, what changes to make to get VCs excited about putting money in. And so that's good for you. Right? The second level is at a, a deeper and higher level at the same time. It is for venture capitalists who have uh, given a seed round to a company a space company, and that has gone on for a little while, six months, a year, something like that, and it is time, as uh, COVID has made it, to double down or get out. Those are pretty much the choices, right? It's time to invest further in a thing we already know, which seems to be the direction VCs are going in right now. Uh, they don't seem to want to look at new things uh, or, or stop, just kill the project. And so the good news is, in that situation, there's a lot more going on. There's more meat for Cold Star experts to get in and, and analyze, right? You're going to have processes in place, whether they know it or not. We'll be able to flowchart those and, and maybe accurately document them for the first time so we can get some kind of value chain going in the organization. We'll be able to test whether the leadership is the right group of people or whether you're missing something, the strategic direction, the business model, all this stuff. So. If this sounds interesting to you, reach out to us. You can email me at jason at coldstartech.com or just connect with me and message me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way to do it. And uh, I am excited to talk to you. The, the kind of transformation that we're able to offer here is beyond anything you'll see out there. And as a VC, this will save you so much time and energy, right? Like if you're a VC and you've got 100 companies to look at, you've got three days a year <laughs> to, to look at each one maybe, right? That's not really good enough, is it? Wouldn't it be better to have uh, experienced, expert space, people who understand space, right? Look at this investment and tell you, here's a grade, right? Here are several grade areas. Is this thing ready to pour gasoline on the fire or is it just going to go up in smoke? This is Jason Kanig from Cold Star Tech. Let's get back to the interview. Would you say you're spending more of your time with like a Gantt chart or more of a bill of materials or is it kind of both? Uh, I would say more. <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Most of the time it's either on the, either the phone or writing email or Excel files, presentations for, uh, for meetings present your, your ideas or plan or mm. any issues that you might find. 
so it's a mix of between different things, so different tasks. Okay. And I'm curious about the crew time. The <laughs> I do a lot of uh, estimating for, for clients, um, and I find that they continuously underestimate the amount of time activities will take by two, three, four times, sometimes more. They think something will take one or two hours and it'll take all day. Uh, how is that in the, in the SA for, for the ISS? Do you find that it's pretty one-to-one -one on the planned versus actual or is there a bit of variance? No, there is a bit of variance. There are some experiments that they are overestimated. Uh, so in some hmm. cases we manage to spend less time than expected. Uh, and this is more or less, I would say, the average likely, uh, yeah. if they try to be on the safe side. Right. Uh, but in some cases, some something might happen, something is not fitting, or there is a, an anomaly that you didn't expect, and then sometimes you really get overrun of several hours, so then you can go really back to two or three. It's quite rare, <laughs> so high, uh, mm -hmm. but it can happen. Okay, that you know that makes me wonder. It's it, it, everybody can imagine. Okay, what happens if it takes too long and there's too many things that need to be done in too short of a time? Well, what about the opposite? What happens if you've got downtime or dead time? Like the thing is done in six hours and we thought it would take eight. What do you do with those two hours? Well, luckily there is a. Uh, it works in this way you know, on the space station. Usually, you have uh, crime activities. So activities that are scheduled on a specific yeah. day and time because they need to be done. And then there is what is called reserve activities. So mm -hmm. activities that are not planned, they are not in the schedule of the astronaut. But if there is some free time, they either can decide themselves which one to perform. Or maybe they receive a call from down saying, hey, mm -hmm. since you finished in advance, can you do one of these activities? So they have always have backpack plan in case everything goes very, very smooth and everything mm -hmm. is done very quickly. So luckily, this is also one of the things that we are working in all the space agency. We always have a set of prime activities and a set of reserve activities that can be planned anytime whenever there is a chance. Okay, so there, we just learned about some of the priority system <laughs> of task assignment. Okay, um, let's go into your education here for a bit. Uh, I, so I, I started learning about space traffic management and space situational awareness. And as soon as you start doing this, you run into this thing called the Kalman filter. And uh, every, every PhD seems to have, uh, in this area, seems to have a, a paper published with that Kalman filter in its title, right? And they, they're working, uh, tweaking, developing their own version of it and that. And you've done, you've done some work in it. So I'm curious about what you have discovered about using the Kalman filter um, in calculating flight plans and, and attitude and things like that. But I guess let's begin with explaining what, what it is. What is the Kalman filter in a simple way? Well, uh, this was part of my internship in, in mm -hmm. Airbus during the outside the PhD, what before the PhD time. Uh, well, the Kalman filter is a, a model that uh, evaluates a specific, uh, let's say, property. And in my case, it was the attitude of the uh, um, of this of the spacecraft, uh, so the how it was facing Earth or the stars or the sun, and uh, this uh, uh, model uh, try to uh, figure out uh, uh, the the exact position or attitude in this case of the satellites based on some measurement. So the the model the the code let's say takes as input the the, the measurement done by sensor. Uh, in the case of my uh, internship, it was uh, this measurement 
from the gyroscopes and from the style tracker. And uh, based on this, try to evaluate the app to the satellites. Okay, so it takes the measurement that they refer to a specific say, at, uh, attitude of the spacecraft at a specific time, but the measurements are not perfect. They have an error because all the sensors are not perfectly uh, calibrated in, in case, but they are not perfect. In general, they have some uh, background noise. They create an error in the AS. Uh, and so the, uh, the model itself uh, used the measurements to validate for the initial uh, estimate, and then it propagates based on the model that you have of the spacecraft. So you know that this spacecraft has to follow a specific law of physics, of the orbit, uh, of the uh, dynamics. Uh, um, and so you propagate, it's called propagate the position based on that measurement. And every time you have a new measurement coming in, you check that your estimate based on the mathematical model more or less reflect what's coming in your, uh, uh, in your measurement. And then it continuously check and takes the difference between the measured and the calculated uh, 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 position or attitude of the spectrum and adjust itself to try to understand how, the, what, how much are the error, uh, if the model is correct. Uh, so this is more or less what a common filter does. It's a loop that evaluates the, uh, the measurement and the model that you have. Um, and try to figure out if the model is correct and so your estimates are good enough Quality and the attitude of the spacecraft. Uh, in my case, the, with the internship, uh, we wanted to check uh, the effect of a, a possible error source. So, mm -hmm. the misalignment between the, uh, the star tracker and the gyroscopes uh, that could change depending on the uh, thermal load of the satellite. Since it was satellites usually go in the shadow and or they face the sun depending on the orbit. And this ex uh, creates um, Structural uh, change and could be misaligned with the two sensors. And this generated an error, and we would like to want to see if we modeled the error could, uh, in a good way. And depending on which kernel filter used, uh, we use it, which one could give a better estimate. So the main outcome was that one of these filters could give a slightly better estimate of the attitude compared to the others. And then this okay. was used by the company. That, in a report for a proposal they were doing to mm. allow to enhance uh, future uh, spacecraft. Okay, so uh, trying to reduce uncertainty is a big part of, of using this thing and, and getting to confirmation of, okay, does this model actually tell us what, <laughs> what we want it to be doing? What's going on, yeah. yeah. Okay, um, and, and I'm sure we're gonna run into that thing um, a lot more in this program <laughs> with, with other guests of that because uh, I seem to run into it once a week where I must read a paper that's uh, related to it. So I'm gonna read this, this uh, item out here um, from your LinkedIn profile. You note simulation and testing in MATLAB slash Simulink uh, during your doctoral experience at the University of Nottingham. So you got to use this these things, MATLAB and Simulink, I've never been there. I don't really even know what this is, but it sounds cool. So I'm curious what the facilities were like and, and how you worked with them. Yeah, uh, MATLAB, Simulink is a pretty much standard, let's say, software user universities hmm. to uh, generate or write code in order to uh, make computation, uh, make a, a simulation. Uh, depending on the, the set of tools that you install together with the, uh, with the basic software, that the company providing the software allows you to install add-ons or other features that you can implement. 
then you are able to uh, simulate more uh, features or create a more sophisticated system. Uh, so this was is very useful in the, in the university field to uh, starting to practice with codes and then creating simulators. Um, so this was one of the main tools used during my PhD, not only by me, but also some of my colleagues. Uh, I was part of a big project called uh, Innovate. Uh, it was um, uh, um, European Union funded project. The University of Nottingham made this proposal to the European uh, Union uh, for a big project uh, involving 13 national researchers from all over, all over Europe and a couple of them even worldwide. And uh, the project itself was focusing on uh, uh, analyzing and uh, developing specific, specific technologies or techniques uh, to optimize performances for aviation. Uh, so we analyzed different areas, like for my, my case, navigation, but we had also uh, ground operation, uh, fluid dynamics and structures, uh, controls. Uh, so it was very wide. Each of us was focusing, uh, focusing on one specific topic. Uh, and then the idea was to combine the different uh, technologies and trying to understand how uh, they perform together and how much they could improve the, the performances of the aircraft. Um, so in my case, I developed this code in MATLAB. It uh, was used to evaluate the performances of the uh, satellite navigation system of the aircraft. Um, the navigation system itself, uh, the quality, and they say the accuracy, the accuracy of the position provided by the navigation system depends on the number of satellites uh, in view respect to the receiver, so how many satellites the receiver can see, uh, and that their relative position. But during uh, the flight, an aircraft can uh, change its attitude, so it can bank and roll, and depending on maneuver it's performing. And some of the, some of the satellites can uh, could be lost on, on this way, uh, or, or even an obstacle around, like thinking an, an aircraft landing close to airports or skyscrapers uh, can lose some of the satellites because the obstacle are between the uh, satellites and the receiver line of sight. So I analyzed this aspect on how much this, uh, the attitude of the aircraft is affecting the accuracy of the position. And uh, checked uh, also uh, compared the different scenarios using a single constellation like GPS or using combined uh, constellation like GPS and then Galileo, the European version, and also the, the, uh, the Russian uh, system. So the, the, main thought, the main thing was to understand if it's worth to implement a multi-constellation uh, in, in an aircraft in order to improve the performance and ensure that the accuracy of the position is, uh, uh, is good enough for uh, using the system. Okay, very cool. I've been kind of laughing at myself the whole time you've been answering because I've revealed my university newbie-ish uh, <laughs> about these programs. Right? None, of the, none of the PhD instructors or professors I've interviewed have ever mentioned it because it's probably so ubiquitous, like it's just everywhere that, uh, that they don't think about it. But um, now, now I know. I had this like supercomputer uh, sort of thing in my, in my head. Um, See, I went to school in the middle 90s and I took business administration and operations management and uh, computers that were wired into the internet all the time were a new thing, <laughs> having a lab like that. So this is, this is the fun of discovery here. So um, let's wrap up with this question then. I, I'm curious about where you, um, 
where you visualize going in the space field and in your career. Um, Obviously you're happy where you are right now. And it sounds like um, you've got this crazy day job where you learn a lot, right? And uh, it's project management. There's some human resources, materials management, um, you know, a little engineering and it's, it's fun. Where do you see yourself going over the next say 20 years or so? Well, that's a very good question because uh, a lot of things might change. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, for me, I really hope I can stay in this position until the, the end of the access. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be great, you know, since being in a born in an era more or less where most of the things are already going and I enter in the job, uh, the job field when everything was already set for the space station, I just arrived and everything was there. So I just mm-hmm. needed to follow what already they're doing. Uh, so at the end of the headsets, uh, I hope that I can maybe move to something different or even earlier, depending on what uh, what's, what will happen. Uh, since now it looks uh, it looks like that all these space agencies are moving in the direction of uh, human exploration. So being a little bit more involved in, the, in this field, so the first uh, human colony on the, on the moon or first trip to Mars, that would be yeah, amazing. It would be great. Uh, so many people are also interested in the field, but we just need to wait uh, and see what happens to the, uh, uh, in the next years. If, uh, right. if it, becomes, it will become a reality. Right. A few more capabilities need to be created before the uh, the human exploration part of it can go. Uh, yeah, it's moving. It's I mean, uh, Luna, Mars, wherever. Yeah, it is. It is happening. Yeah, and we're um, having guests on this show on these topics. So. Oh yeah, I, I think you've probably heard about the uh, getaway. So this is the the next small space station around the moon, and mm-hmm. actually, he's mm-hmm. and NASA are already working on it together with the the other partners, just uh, Russians and uh, Canadian uh, space agencies. So it's happening, just a matter of how. I uh, sorry, when. Right. Right. All right. Well, awesome. Um, my guest has been Simone Paternostro. He is a PhD in engineering, surveying, and space geodesy, uh, analog astronaut, member of the Austrian Space Forum. And I guess you started in Italy and you ended up in Holland right now. Is that true? Correct. I started in Italy, then moved to Germany, UK, and now Netherlands. All right. And if somebody wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? LinkedIn, I guess? Yeah, yeah. LinkedIn for sure. I know. Constantly check it. Uh, so yeah, of course, that one is the best. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for being my guest. No, thanks to you, Jason, for your time. It was really, was really a pleasure to be here with you. This is Jason Canningham from Cold Star Tech. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you do want to get email notifications of upcoming episodes or episodes that have just been released, and maybe a little news sprinkled in here and there, you can sign up for email notifications at coldstartech.com slash MSB. That's short for Make Space Boring. That's another little show that I do. It's uh, once, twice, three times a week, something like that. Anytime there's news or uh, an update on who I'm meeting and and what I'm uh, studying in the space field. So you can go check that out. On the YouTube channel, I can do something that I cannot do on uh, Anchor for the audio only uh, side of things. The YouTube channel allows me to have playlists. And so you might want to go to the channel, the Cold Star Tech channel, and check out those playlists because you will find, you can go down a rabbit hole basically into several areas like space law and policy, uh, small sats. And I think that's a lot easier than trying to scroll through 130 episodes or something like that, <laughs> looking for the thing that you want. So I recommend going and checking that out. 
And remember, if you're ready to take your space business to the next level or you're a VC looking for a deep and very valuable insight into a space company you're looking at investing in or investing further in, come and talk to us. Thanks for listening. Thank you.